Bienvenidos, hey. DC. Welcome back to another episode of DC TBD. Uh, my name is Ian Taranji. I am one of your co-hosts. Uh, we are joined right here, the, the venerable Marcus K. Dowling. Thank you. Yes, we are here. Another week of yes. DC TBD. I'm DC excited TV. to be here. Very good. Very good. I'm excited to be here as well. We are unfortunately not going to be joined this evening um, by our third co-host, Michelle Bush. Um, she'll be back in the building next week. She'll be back. She'll be back in the chair next week. I'm 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 fairly confident right. that uh, my boo is going to be back. Hell yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, but um, Girl, you she's know you know she's that. had some 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 issues. She actually suffered a, an attack. Um, yeah, and and you know I'm not going to speak too much about it except just to offer Michelle our love um, all of our healing vibes everybody Absolutely. here everybody here at One Love Massive our whole crew Marcus I don't, certainly don't want to speak for you but no uh, no no I love Michelle to pieces you know this I don't, yes, sir, I don't yes, sir. tell lies and you know, I know you don't I know you don't and it's, that's the, homie I love and it's the truth it's the truth we know she's gonna be back here next week and you know when and if she's ready to discuss all of the, the the happenings, she will. And if she's not, she won't. And, you know, that's going to be... Keep it moving. Tired up to her, and we're going to keep it moving. So um, we've got a... Gosh, I really wish it was going to be a super lighthearted show tonight. It's going to be heavy as hell. Of, it's going to be heavy as hell. So I think we are going to try to lighten things up a little bit um, towards the end. We're going to talk about uh, rising democratic socialist... Superstar Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Yes, um, and also we're going to discuss. We're going to get in. We're going to get away from some politics, and we're going to discuss some music. Kamasi Washington, the great jazz saxophonist, some cool jazz, or as they would say in England, saxophonist. Saxophonist, which I don't approve of <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Uh, Kamazi is a, a a brilliant, brilliant jazz saxophonist, and so he just dropped a pretty dense double album i've already spoken about it at length on the on chunky glasses the podcast yes yes shout out to my man kevin hill as always um and so a lot of my thoughts are are already out there although i haven't had a chance to dig in because i've been basically listening to it nonstop. um even since i recorded that 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 pod so and marcus has yet to unveil i've literally said nothing about the album yet to unveil any thoughts about what 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 kevin hill modestly describes as perhaps perhaps the greatest work of art in the 21st century uh yeah i'll i'll get into it i've been listening to this album for like three weeks now yeah it's been out for a week i've listened to it for three right right astounding same Um, same yeah so let's get into the uh the conversation yeah let's get into the heady show let's get into less uh uh fun stuff let's talk about the supreme court you know people that that thing yeah people forget uh, Article 3 of the United States Constitution, after Article 1 describes our legislature, our bicameral legislate, leg, legislative system of a yes. House and Senate, Article 2 describes all the powers of the president and the presidency um, and, and the entire executive architecture, uh, and Article 3 discusses the federal courts, um, the Supreme Court being really the only court that is specifically mentioned in the Constitution. Right. Um, we had a number of cases this week, um, and if you're uh, of a progressive mindset, 
None of these. None of these went your way. No. Not a single one of these almost, went your way. Almost comically. Like it's almost, like, almost almost comically. Almost like almost like they intended it that way. No, really. <laughs> like it, so so if you can break it down for people, because yeah. I, I have some thoughts, but if you could just break this down, it's it's fascinating. Right. And before we break it down, I'd also like to say, um, kind of going back to an old an old bit. Yeah. Um, we are in no way, shape, or form sponsored by Budweiser or the Anheuser Busch Company. I am, however, enjoying the hell out of this. Budweiser. At least and it's not the America so beer. They're back to calling it Budweiser yeah, again. <laughs> if Anheuser Busch wishes to sponsor, you can you can reach out to Marcus at One Love. Yeah, <laughs> Marcus at One Love Massive Because we know that Marcus Donovan does not have that email address. That is yours. <laughs> yes. Do not send your hate mail for Marcus Donovan to Marcus K Dowling, which no. it would be Marcus at One Love Massive. Exactly. Um, let's talk about a couple of these Supreme Court opinions. So but of course, in Nifla. V. Becerra, Becerra being the Attorney General of California, NIFLA being some pro, uh, uh, pro-life organization. Right. Um, basically, the Supreme Court blocked a California law requiring um, nonprofits, uh, nonprofits who are, are advising people in, in like crisis pregnancy. Um, California law was requiring these nonprofits, even though they were religious and pro-life and bent, to inform pregnant uh, you know, uh, uh, patients that, that there's free and low-cost abortion services right. available to them. Um, so the court struck down that law. Um, okay, so the Supreme Court is removing your ability to advise someone about even the idea of having an abortion. This is correct. This is correct. I just want to qualify these things. For no, people. no, 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 no. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's clarify. Let's talk about exactly because, right, exactly people, what these because things because a do. lot of people won't get it. But the Supreme right. Court is basically like, okay, do you want to have an abortion? Well, nobody's going to tell you how to safely go about doing this. Yeah, yeah. What this is basically, I mean, just to unpack the California law, I, there are these these crisis pregnancy centers, which are usually like church affiliated, church run. They're very pro life, and you know, listen that. That's fine. This is America. You get to believe how you want to believe and try to persuade your your fellow Americans. But um, you know, basically, so so you have a teenager who gets pregnant, and then who is she going to talk to? There's any number of people you might talk to. Somebody at school, a parent, a brother, a cousin, maybe a priest. I think right. for a lot of these people who go to their priests and say, you know, Father, I'm. 15, but I just realized I'm pregnant. I've been having sex with my boyfriend. I don't know what to do. My parents are going to flip, blah, blah, blah. You mean you know how 15 right. and 16-year-olds are? And so the priest says, here, you should go to this place. This is, you know, uh, they, they will, they will they'll, they'll, they'll better advise you than I could. Being, right. Being likely someone who has, you know, we won't get into priests. <laughs> right. That's neither here nor yeah, there. That's, that's neither here nor there. So the other opinion that was offered this week. Right. So, yeah. So basically, California law said that they had to advise about abortion options. Um, the Supreme Court struck that down. Right. Uh, other cases this week, requiring public sector union members to, um, to pay union fees violates the First Amendment. Right. Um, there's uh, an issue. I mean, obviously, you're not forced to join a union, but that makes you what's called a free rider, which is someone who doesn't have to pay the union dues and right. be a member of the union, but you're getting the benefit of the collectively bargained right. pay and benefits and vacation time and all the things. Right. That was Janice V. Asks Me, uh, A-F-S-C-M-E. Right. Um, 
Is that the service workers union? Or yes, it is. Yeah, okay. So uh, ultimately they're saying that... They're basically saying, they, they basically kind of put a nail in the coffin of public sector unions yeah. um, in much the way that they've done to private sector unions. I mean, that's, to me... Right, so if you work to in... To me, a, that's, a, that's, a, that, that's a whole other show. That's a whole other, like, deep dive topic, which which we should right. definitely, so you, definitely get into right. the whole so concept if, of, of collective bargaining and, and unions in this country. Like, we should definitely talk right. about that. So if you work in a, in a blue-collar, especially in a blue-collar employment situation, and you don't have anybody to advocate you, advocate for you, you will continue... Ad infinitum, to not have people willing to advocate for your basic right. human That's rights. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. I mean, look, like I say, we can, we sh- we really should at some point do a, a deep dive and talk about a lot of these. Right, but I'm just, I just wanted to make no, sure no, no, that no. people got like the. I I agree, but I'm just. The I'm, only, I'm only saying that. I'm only saying that because I'm only saying that because I have a million things that I would right, I, I, I would like I, to say. As do we'll I, never, we'll as never, would I, but, but we'll yeah. never we'll never get to the rest of this stuff here. So right, right, right. Um, other cases: the Muslim ban, the Muslim travel ban, um, was found by the Supreme Court to be well within the president's authority under immigration law. And uh, particularly with the national security concerns, um, number of okay, so Muslim, number of yeah. Muslims from these countries who've traveled to the United States on visa and killed Americans is drum roll please <laughs> Jesus. zero zero so, zero. So if you're a, a if you're a Muslim, you are effectively banned from immigrating and or flying into the United States. It's not. It has it, it, the the well. The Muslim ban was was rewritten and softened out of necessity, not out of the you know some Grinch like melting of Trump's heart or anything like that. No. It's been out of necessity because courts have struck it down, and so they they they've continuously tried to rewrite it in such but a way. But they got it right now. So they they got it right now, as far as the Supreme Court is saying. But 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 it is not a blanket Muslim ban. It is not if you're Muslim. But and you live in you live in Paris. But, you cannot emigrate. You still, cannot emigrate. Or, or but still, there is the notion that there is somebody in a flyover state, possibly, not castigating everybody who lives in flyover states. I have many good friends in Iowa, um, Ohio, Michigan, yeah. Illinois, for me. Exactly. But if they happen to see this person, this Parisian person, who happens to be Muslim, walking down the street, yeah, <laughs> there is a possible chance that this person will be unnecessarily ostracized. Uh, there's a chance, certainly. <laughs> I'm just uh, certainly is a chance because because the Supreme Court has right. opened up the legality of that as perfectly permissible behavior. So I just in this country, I just I just want to say we this entire discussion of these Supreme Court cases is is preface <laughs> for when we talk about the real nuke. No, that, no, that, we're no, that, we're that building, we're building up we're to building it. Building up to this because I'm just I want to make yeah. sure that everybody understands because, because this is the best it's going to be for no, a long time. No, I want to build up to it because this is the thing. Like it's like okay, so there's like a, when Obama like you know was in office, the, the Supreme Court was kind of an open door. Like you know he had a lot of like you know freedoms that were extended. Things were you know progressing in a manner that you know we were we were becoming a more inclusive nation in a lot of ways. The court, we we were we were I would say. Not really, but but by, okay. So on, on paper, actions of the court, with the with the exception of of gay rights, the right. court the court finally vindicated yeah. gay rights to marry, um, same sex marriage. But um, but the, the but, case I'm building is that there's a door that's slamming. Oh yeah, on American freedom. <laughs> yes, 
Yes. And and this this door started it started Sunday. This is the the, the level that the Trump administration moves at now. I'm sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. But I just want to make this point really fast. No, no. The Trump administration moves at lightning speed now because for 500 days their mandate sailed through the country. Yeah. Unfettered. The women marched. Didn't matter. The children marched. Didn't matter. <laughs> the blacks marched. Didn't matter. The Latinos marched. Didn't matter. We got a big march coming up on Saturday. You're not. You're not really. You're not really hyping everybody up. No, for this but march. no, no. But I'm saying this only because it's going to take the women, the blacks, the Latinos, and the children together. Yeah. To well, to well, do a thing, well, but you but you have to. But Latinos have to. This is march. We we'll talk about the thirtieth. We will get to that. Yeah. Has to exist. The women's march had to exist. Like all of these initial movements, all the children coming to the National Mall had to exist right. so that right. they know how to do it so that they can do it again mm-hmm. and again and again. Yes, yes. That's the whole thing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying have, anything that's crazy. We have DC protest experts. Right. So let me just highlight a couple of other... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Run a couple of other... Just, just two more, two more, and I can... None I can of this stuff existed past, like, sort of like, none of this stuff existed before Sunday, right? Uh, yeah, roughly. Well, a couple. The, 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 these two cases actually were one was from I think last week, and the other was from. But these are in the uh, past two weeks ago. But this is definitely this is yeah. re- very recent. The very Trump recent. administration moves in lightning pace right now. And this is about redistricting and gerrymandering. There's two cases um, on on the major redistricting case. And just to to, to kind of go back, I mean, obviously every ten years we have a census that's called for in the con- in in the Constitution itself. Um, this st- and then the states get census data, and that determines, you know, how many, uh, 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 how many congressional seats they're going to have, and that usually determines how many state legislature, st- state legislative seats there are in the state legislature, and then whoever is the party that happens to be in power at the time gets to sort of draw the map. And in 2010, right. in 2010, we saw there was a huge sort of backlash to Obama's election, and it was a huge. Wave election for Republicans all up and down the ticket at the national level. They took back the House. They came very close to taking back the Senate and would eventually take it back in 2014. And the Democrats really started a roll beginning in 2010 of just losing state house after state house after state house after state house, even in a lot of blue states, places like Pennsylvania, right. Michigan, Ohio. Um, you know, sort of like Obama country in the in that in that industrial Midwest. So redistricting is a really huge issue, and this is another topic, man. We could just like dig into. So, it's actually an, an, a, so if, a topic so, yeah. of interest of mine. And but basically, what what the court found was well, it punted on on the big redistricting case. And and just so so people know, Kennedy was kind of like the swing vote that they were trying to get in this big redistricting case. Um, and then the court functionally approved a racial gerrymander in Texas, right? Uh, where the court sort of conceded, and by the conceded that there were, were were racial aspects to the gerrymander, but still found that it was okay. Um, it's another further erosion of the Voting Rights Act, um, even the Fourteenth Amendment. Well, you know. even I mean the thing with the that voting was Abbott rights, v. Perez. What's, by the way, what's fascinating with um, all of this is that we elected a black president. In back-to-back elections, yeah, we did. Ninety-two percent and ninety-six percent, ninety-six percent and ninety-two percent of all you know black voters voted for Barack Obama in right. both of those elections. And if there's any one thing that white people learn white from people that. don't <laughs> want to see, like, like, and I'm not saying all white people. I'm saying that white people Enough. of a certain conservative persuasion. Enough of them. 
are not wanting to see ever again. It's 96% of black people unifying behind a black man as president. This is just too much black <laughs> happening in the same place at the same time. So if you can effectively put people in corners and literally like draw circles around them and highlight them and, and shove them all into the same box, black votes are less effective yep. that way. Mm -hmm. And if you look at population shifts and population demographic shifts across the country, right. gentrification is real. Yep. It's not just happening in D.C. It's happening in every major city in America. So if you effectively take these people that are already being displaced and you put them in a, a little circular spot on a map and that's where all their votes are, when you look at the electoral college overall, you're able to then take that, that, the, those clusters mm -hmm. and, and I, guess, I guess it would be uh, de diminish, yeah, diminish, diminish, their, diminish their potential impact right, that's exactly on the overall right. vote. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the whole... Um, I'm I'm by no means schooled enough in these in these topics to 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 talk that knowledgeably about it, but it's what's called packing and cracking. You either pack minorities into a small number of districts, or you crack them up and separate them out into a large number of right. of, of districts where they have less impact. And either way, their but impact they, their impact is lessened. Their impact is lessened either because they don't have a real say in determining who their who their representative is. If they're cracked into many diffuse districts or if they're packed into districts then you have a state like alabama which is like 40 percent african-american but maybe like 15 percent of their congressional right. delegation are are black democrats i will say this we'll get to this when we talk about the new york city uh case with um castro with uh cortez cortez ocasio cortez you made, you made the same mistake earlier i did so i did cortez, right <laughs> so we talk about cortez we talk about new york city later we're going to talk about the fact that uh minority influence you're never gonna see. You're not gonna see cracking, ever again, because because people be understand that minority influence over liberal white voters yeah. is totally a thing. It is. <laughs> it's not a thing that was not a thing that uh, is not a thing that existed before the election of Barack Obama. The yeah. election of Barack Obama taught us anything. It's that people listen to their black friends, <laughs> like. Explicitly on almost any topic. I remember in 2007 having to convince black friends <laughs> that Obama could be elected. But then, but, but now we're at a completely different yeah. place. We've had two terms of it, so you're going to see a lot more packing and a lot less cracking. Yeah. So this is this is a perfect example of where we're going with this whole packing of minorities into and, smaller. And that's what really districts. sucked. And that's what really sucked about the uh, the redistricting case that the that 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 the court punted on because. Um, I'm just like real quick on history. Like Kennedy was actually the, on the last redistricting, partisan redistricting case that made it to the Supreme Court. He he held that the plan wasn't sufficient, wasn't constitutionally sufficient, but he kind of left the door open. Hey, I would be open to right. a plan, you know, some type of a, 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 a some type of a a, um, a scheme that 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 you can impose to make this a more fair right. uh, process. And he basically punted on this case in, in what he had to know was one of his, the last cases of his career. Right. He basically said, well, they don't have standing. You know, it's, you can't, if you're, if you're in a district that you're claiming is, is, is fucked up because of gerrymandering, well, then, you know, that's a problem with your district. It's not a problem with the whole state. You know, forgetting that each of these districts you know, is, is, is part of the state well, map, you know, and then which you is, 
boot them out. You could yeah. boot the the troublesome, you know, population that is is keeping you know certain types of people from getting elected yeah. out of your di- district. That's pack, one of the crazy things about you pack them in Milwaukee. Yeah, is what you do. So, and all of this is preface, as we as we hinted, as we allured to right. earlier, alluded to, not allured, alluded to earlier. This is the least alluring thing. This is the least. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I have to say, I uh, in. Uh, and in in my defense, I am a total Supreme Court nerd, uh, a constitutional law nerd. Like I was going to say, right? I could geek out on a lot of this stuff. A lot of these redistricting cases. I'm, I, I mean, I'm going to read the the opinion, but I'm probably going to go back and read the briefs actually, from, right? From the parties on the redistricting case, just because I want to understand, I want to understand the redistricting process better, and and sort of like what are the arguments for making it better. But um, this is all preface to the the H bomb. Or the K bomb, if you will. There it is. That was dropped yesterday. Yesterday being Wednesday, um, when Justice Anthony Kennedy announced that he was retiring uh, from the bench. He was appointed about 30 years ago by Ronald Reagan. Right. After Reagan had appointed Robert Bork to the bench, and when people actually read what Robert Bork had written, they realized <laughs> he was a crazy man who should in no way, shape, or form, spend the rest of his life having any kind of influence over American jurisprudence. <laughs> I when, remember and, that. It's like, really? And you when, did that? Okay. And when Reagan uh, realized he had to go back to the drawing board, he, he came up with a very kind of moderate conservative um, in Anthony Kennedy. Who Who's grown more liberal in his time on the bench, right? He has, he has grown more liberal in his time on the bench and has been functionally... The swing vote on what has been a very evenly and bitterly divided Supreme Court. You have a, a liberal wing right now as it stands as of yesterday morning um, of Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, Stephen Breyer, and, and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. No, 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 notorious. Notorious RBG. Um, and then on the, on the, the sort of the right side of, of, uh, jurisprudence, you have just uh, Clarence Thomas, right. Samuel Alito, uh, the Chief Justice John Roberts, um, and then uh, the recently uh, uh, confirmed um, and Trump-appointed Neil Gorsuch. So, right. you know, Kennedy, I just want to talk real quickly about what his, what his legacy on the court has been, because he has been the swing court, the swing vote. On a, on a very deeply divided court. Every time you hear about there's a 5-4 decision, it's usually a 5-4 decision in which Kennedy is in the five, right. and he's usually in the five because you've got four, and you've got four, and then he is the yeah, one who I, has been decided, has been a, de- yeah, I read a decisive, where they said a decisive he, vote. They said he was on the right side of history for 30 years. Uh, that's, that's deeply debatable. Deeply I, debatable. No, I understand. It was just the way that it was framed. I was like... So I mean, you just looked at his his votes. And but that said, but that said, yeah. the man has, um, I think, a very lasting and profound legacy on the court. He's an icon of LGBTQ rights. Yes, he is an icon. He wrote the Windsor decision, which legalized same-sex marriage, and had actually written many of the gay rights decisions that preceded it. That sort of laid the jurisprudential foundation for the Windsor case. Right. Um, you know, he was the the he he was the, the deciding vote that um, reversed Texas's law against sodomy. 
Right. Um, and for whatever reason, I'm I'm blanking on the name of that case, but you know, it's but but Kennedy wrote all of those opinions. He's a gay rights icon. Um, you know, he kept the court, I think, from going too far to the right on abortion. Uh, in the Casey uh, uh, Planned Parenthood of Pennsylvania v. v. Casey case, yeah. which is from, I want to say, like, 92, 93. Justice O'Connor was also a conservative who was on the, we're not ready to, to do away with Roe v. Wade um, just yet side of, of that case. Um, on affirmative action, he's been a, a decisive vote in, in, in affirmative action cases. Again, it was the University of Texas case that he was a deciding vote. Um, you know, with Kennedy gone, John Roberts kind of becomes our swing vote right now. I can tell you this, Roberts vehemently opposes um, affirmative action. Yes. Um, I don't know where he is on LGBTQ rights. He was in the minority on Windsor um, and had kind of a... You know, I really studied that Windsor opinion, and the most disappointing aspect of it is the dissents, the dissent by Scalia, the dissent by Roberts, sort of like, uh, if we allow this to happen, what will, what, could, what will possibly happen to our society if we're, you know, doing away with duly enacted laws of our, our legislature? I and mean, it's just like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it was, it's it was all a like joke. It's that a joke. whole thing, and, and it's a... It's my so Roberts isn't going to yeah. help the LGBTQ no. community from the bench He's it's, as a swing vote. It's my concern about the court moving forward, and it's something to think about. A cons- an already conservative court, like yeah. we just dis- we, I mean, so the, the cases that we talked about in in the first segment, just within the last two weeks. So it's it's the use of the Holy Bible, as the the best course of. You know, like the best the best course of action, yeah. in in the place of law. So, in the case of you know like legalizing gay marriage or you know like keeping affirmative action as a part of you know like uh, African American civil rights. Mm-hmm. Those are things that if if you're a, a strict constructionalist of the Bible created constitution and you thump that thing so hard the every biblical day of your cons- life. the biblical constitution, I think that's how we should refer to it. Yeah, of the United States of America. The biblical constitution for people who, who wanna believe in sort of like we have to find out what these original what these slaveholders felt and what they would have thought right. about about you know high capacity magazines and right. the Second Amendment. Of it's course, like, it's like uh, this a is slaveholder. A, he probably would want have wanted more guns. Right. <laughs> this is problematic. Like this yeah. is extraordinarily problematic because no the thing that we d- we've done now is that we've gone past the point of no return with conservative America. This is why Donald Trump was elected president. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you're ultimately feels like that. What you're ultimately doing with Kennedy leaving, whomever is appointed by Donald Trump is going to be like a step worse than Gorsuch. Yeah. Like he's going to be that's far, like further to the right than this guy was. This guy is pretty fair. further pretty far to the right. And with the 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 chief justice of the Supreme Court being in the conservative block. Yep. Solidly, solidly, like completely. People have to understand he's completely in the conservative block. He's the one persuadable conservative, and he votes with the conservatives probably ninety percent of the time. No joke. This now gives Donald Trump a rubber stamp. This gives him a bulldozer. It's not even a rubber stamp. It's a bulldozer. That's what that's what it is. Because that's it's a bulldozer. Because that's the way Trump operates. To bulldoze abortion rights, affirmative action, to attempt to bulldoze gay marriage, attempt. That's the one I think that won't necessarily pass because he understands. If Donald Trump understands anything, it's money. Mm-hmm. 
and there's enough there's enough of a conservative gay lobby in America that's making six to seven figures right now that could stand up and look at Donald Trump in the face if he wants to, you know, obliterate gay marriage. And he'll back down. That same thing does not exist in the black community. Yeah. It, it doesn't. Like, no, it, right. it, it doesn't because... Herman Cain. Herman Cain ain't getting it done. Right. And, it's just, <laughs> and, and, and Oprah's not going to shake, shake Trump's hand and, and, and play nice on this conversation. I feel like... I feel like I can, I can, I can feel the ghost of Kanye West... Floating above this I mean, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll, we could save all talk of Kanye. <laughs> like, Kanye with that court is a... Oh, God. Because Kanye with that court can do all sorts of crazy stuff. Like, you know, just oh and just God. have a, a party. But, um, but... Okay, all right. But we just, won't talk Kanye. <laughs> right, we won't. We won't. Actually, we don't have to talk Kanye because we could talk about the fact that Donald Trump is going to bulldoze pieces of American legislat- uh, uh, legislation that has been on the books for the last 50 years and has effectively led to a space in America where we are right now. You mean like civil rights legislation? That's exactly example? where I was going. That's exactly where I was going. So if you're a white person and you live next to a black person who couldn't afford to live next to you for the better part of 50 years, and now they do. If that person did buy their house and they're a renter living next to you, there's a pretty good chance that they're not going to be in the house in like three to five years. And there is a chance that if your child goes to school with a black person and you go to a private, you send your kids to private school, you don't send them to public school, and you've got like three black kids in that class with your, with your son or daughter, they're not going to be in the school. Yeah. They're not going to. They're and, just not. Because and the government might help you pay for it. Right, exactly, and that's frightening. Uh, and there's no amount of there's no amount of protesting, especially for civil rights, especially in the, the African American civil rights right. conversation, mm-hmm. because we've effectively figured out that Latinos can work in lower to middle in- income jobs and support a white dominated power structure in large scale, like you know, retail based industry, mm-hmm. which is, I and I know where you come from with this. And I know how you feel about this, <laughs> yeah. but I, it's it's honestly no, where we are, and it's fucking sad. It's real. It's real. <laughs> That's the totally thing. Real. If you're black, though, that same level of placement within this hierarchical structure, because it's mm-hmm. it's an oligarchy. That's what we're dealing with now. It's not a democracy. It's not you know any sort of like wingnut socialism that the wingnuts on the far left are trying to misconstrue this as. Right. It's it's an oligarchy. It's yeah. a no it's a 17th century English oligarchy. That's what we that's what we're dealing with. And I would say more like early 20th century robber baron type um activity. But that was that was that was they at least had a they at least had faith in democracy. This guy has no faith in democracy. I mean, once Teddy Roosevelt showed up, I think they lost their faith <laughs> right. in democracy. Right, but but and this then when Franklin Roosevelt showed up, they sure as shit lost their faith in democracy. Right, until, but until World War II happened, and suddenly we all had to pull together. Yeah, but I think that there's it's, that's a great analysis, by the way. Thank but you. I, yeah, but I feel like I was a U.S. history major. No, I know, I appreciate it because <laughs> um, people don't understand that. Um, yeah. But I feel like. There's a real issue if you're a black person in America. I say this to all of my black friends, and I'll say it to all. I say it to everyone. If you're a black person, you in, have a you have a platform. Yeah, if you're a black person in America right now, don't act foolish for like the next twenty years, <laughs> like because you have no rights. 
Even if Kanye wins, because we'll go there for like half a second. Even if Kanye wins, you still functionally have no rights because Kanye has rights. Yeah, this is that this is that thing that that Chris Rock talks about when he doesn't. Jay Z's gonna up. have rights, right? Dave Chappelle's gonna have rights. Right. No, but there's that thing when when I when Chris Rock does a stand up where he talks about how OJ got free. That doesn't mean that every black person is OJ. <laughs> it's not not the case. Yeah, the, statis- the statistics don't for bear twenty that years. <laughs> just just toe toe the line. Don't offend anybody. Don't anger anybody. Don't piss anybody off. Don't have any, you know, rash displays in public of any sort of, like, unnecessary anger. Mm. You know, like, possibly carrying a gun or wearing a T-shirt with a fist on it. Or, you know, like... Leave that to your white liberal friends. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> because, because there are white people who will happily now pick up telephones and call the cops on you. Because white people publicly police black people. That's what Lord, we do. <laughs> In San Francisco, this woman, <laughs> this woman right. was CEO of a cannabis company. Yes. That's where we are. I mean, literally. Like I people- know that they say when you deal, you don't, you, don't, you don't indulge in your own supply. This woman needed, needed to indulge Clearly. in a little bit of her supply. But I'm just saying, that's the thing that happens now. Yeah. And the Supreme Court, you know, the legit- Supreme Court is going to legitimizes it now. They're going to, they're going to inv- I mean, let's 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 talk about it. Roe versus Wade is in very serious danger of being overturned. Roe versus Wade is done. It's the first thing that 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 yeah. that, that block because it's a block. That's the first. That's the that's thing that they do. care about most. That's and it's the and it's the easiest win. Yeah, in many ways it is. In easiest many, win. In, in many ways it is. So and explain to people the, the the nature of the opinion in Roe v. Wade because I think that's one of those pieces of American history that doesn't get discussed enough and it's going to get discussed. So like yeah, everybody paying attention to this. Like it's definitely going to get discussed. This is a thing that's so, going to be discussed a lot. Yeah, when people say stuff like, you know, and I, I, I'm trying to be even-handed here, but so I'll, I'll, I'll get into my my actual view on, on, on the future of Roe versus Wade because I keep hearing people saying, well, it's in very serious danger. It's in very serious danger. Look, Roe versus Wade is probably going to be overturned. Um, and the reason for that is, is you have a fairly nonpartisan kind of consensus in the sort of legal scholarship community that Roe versus Wade, the actual opinion itself, is, was, 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 was not well-reasoned and, and um, is not sound constitutionally. Um, and there, so you have even people who agree that abortion should be legal, people who agree with the ultimate outcome of Roe versus Wade, more liberal legal scholars, will actually go out, go out and say, yeah, but it is a poorly reasoned um, opinion. Right. Uh, I, I actually, um, while I, I, I don't consider myself to be an eminent legal scholar God, by any stretch it, of the imagination, the way, the way I... They're, the way they're going to write that opinion... To rescind it is going to be. Oh, it's going to be. It's going to be. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be like close your legs, ladies. It's seventeen forty nine. We will yeah. paint a scarlet why, letter. Why? Why are we? Why are we laughing about this? We <laughs> will paint a scarlet letter on your Facebook profile. Yeah. <sighs> if you just if you dare to go and abort your 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 child. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to uh, because I'm I'm totally flaking out on who it was that actually wrote the opinion. I feel it was like Justice Berger. 
Um, oh God, Blackman, Blackman. Okay, I was Blackman, like Burger. I was like Burger. Definitely, <laughs> that, that 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 doesn't make sense. Right? Burger concurred, but um, okay, right. according, according to Wikipedia. So I feel like Roe versus Wade is in very serious, very serious danger. Um, affirmative action. You know, we just talked about the center, sort of the ideological center of the court now right. is John Roberts. Yes, and John Roberts is. Very much has, to the right. has expressed a lot of antipathy for just the, the concept of affirmative action, much less the many various black and sundry folk, ways in which it's put into practice. Black folk, just be cool for like 20 years. <laughs> like, like, I mean, look, we're going to see continued erosion no of voting rights. No sudden moves. Um, basically, we're going to see increasing tolerance for intolerance. Gay intolerance, racial intolerance, gender intolerance. Um, you know, God. whether it's whether it's going to be religion, whether it's going to be the safety of our children, the worst thing, whether it's the going worst to be national to be. security, whether it's just going to be flat out white supremacy, racism, whatever I'm it gonna, is. I'm the Supreme it. Court is going to rubber stamp all of that shit and any efforts and more to the point any efforts to combat legislative efforts to combat are going to face uphill battles in the court. I mean, we're going to see. We're going to see, we're going to see, we already have states that have, have enacted, uh, 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 have enacted laws that say it's, it's unlawful to discriminate against someone on the basis of sexual orientation right. or gender. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to see challenges to those laws um, that the Supreme Court might well decide, hey. I'm going to say something crazy because I do this on occasion on this podcast. Yes, you do. But go ahead. If you're a, if you're a <laughs> single, if you're a, if you're a gay black man who's the child of a single black woman, you're you're like literally like in like the lowest one percent of America right now. That's deep, and that's a real thing to consider. It's like love to our gay black <laughs> brothers. Right. It's it's gonna be our a gay hard black road. sisters. It's gonna be and, a hard and all road. Those, all those in between, brother and sister. It's gonna be a hard road, like for real. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I the, look. This no, this is crazy town. Like, it, this is a whole other level. I was just telling you before. I was telling you before we got on the air. Um, right. I remember election night, and I was just getting so disgusted. I, I think I literally turned off the TV at ten o'clock before they called it for Trump, and just went to sleep. So I didn't even know what happened until I woke up the next morning, and then as soon as I looked at my phone, it was readily apparent <laughs> that the worst case scenario had in well, fact come Canada. to pass. Which and you could do now, by the way. <coughs> excuse me. And literally, my first thought, my first thought in my head was, the Supreme Court is gone for a generation. For a generation, like we're gonna have, we're gonna have Democratic presidents, we're gonna have a liberal, maybe even socialist presidents. <coughs> with congresses that want to do progressive things, right. they're going to do progressive things that are going to be landmark pieces of legislation. The Supreme Court's going to shit on them yeah. for the next 40 years. Oh, the totally. Next 30 to 40 years. Like, okay, so... If so Trump gets reelected, if Trump gets reelected, we're going to see 7-2 majorities No, I mean, okay, so here's the thing. Uh, the thing about, and this is a fascinating thing that I never talk about, but we get to talk about it. If if a person is not here, Donald, here on DC TBD, yeah. If a person it, it isn't Donald Trump wins the presidency in two thousand and twenty, <laughs> the Supreme Court ultimately runs the country. If if that person who will remain nameless runs for president in two thousand and twenty, 
The Supreme Court is actually doing the, the legwork. The Supreme Court has already picked a president. Right. They're doing the legwork. Like, that's the, the craziness of all of this. Like, like that's a generation ago. <laughs> right. Like, like, okay, so we built up to, like, gay marriage. We built up to all this stuff. Like, you know, in, 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 a 40, in 40 years, we mm-hmm. built up to it. You know, Stonewall to, it's 50 years. Stonewall to, you know, Windsor. like, Windsor. Yeah. It's like 50 years. So it took 50 years to build up to that. And we had to, like, go through, like, <clears throat> a conservative court to get there. Yeah. We had to, like, live through a court, a cycle of a court, to get to the point where we were at, at a space where you could, you know, like, overturn, you know, like, gay marriage and give gays the right to be married. Right. That's a thing. Right. Now we're at a place where all that's going to get repealed. It, it might. I mean, look, I don't think no, gay oh, marriage is going to get repealed. No, what gay I marriage think, is the one. What I, but I, what, I, what I think is going to happen is well, that... Civil rights... We're, it's going to be a, a steady erosion, a steady chip away. Right. One case is going to validate this law that is terrible for minorities. One state is going to have a law that they're trying to help minorities gain voting rights or gain access to the courts or gain, and that that's going to be struck down. Right. Like it's going to be just a steady but real so, so erosion here's, so here's of what's crazy. the civil rights progress that we've made here's, in the Supreme here's Court. Here's what's crazy. Um, about this and it's, it works on an even deeper level because I think about this stuff like all the time and I think about it with like depth and scope because it's not enough for me okay so I, when I read a news story I, I don't I just don't read the words that are on the page it's like the news story is like oh in the news today you know like it was 85 degrees and you know the the, the dog died well, I'm like, okay, well, what happens if the dog dies? Like, where, where are we going? Like, is there, is there a cat that's going to be replacing the dog? Like, what's the story? So I look deeper into all of this, and I go, okay. So the first thing that we told everybody is when Donald Trump is president, we must protect states' rights. So if you vote in your home state legislature, and, you know, like these laws go through states, Mm-hmm. And then there's some, you know, manner of ju- jurisprudence where they want to take these cases. They want to turn these these laws into, you know, cases against them. Right. Usually because the they're, they're challenging the laws. Right. The highest court in the land <laughs> that these cases go to, if you have enough <clears throat> money, if, you, if your money is long enough to drag out a case to where it gets to the Supreme Court, this is the court you're dealing with. So ultimately, this means even deeper that if you're going to be a states' rights fanatic and you're going to try to elect all of these like radical, super extra, ultra, anti-Trump, dump Trump liberals into office, they have even a longer, harder road to hoe. Yeah. Because in all of these states where these things would happen, there's some crazy rich guy on a hill <laughs> who's, a, who's very conservative, typically with a, you know, like a, an artillery of guns, yeah. Who will happily fund some lawyer to run down and chase down these laws and beat them into the ground so that they don't exist. It's the damnedest thing about rich people. They keep trying to get rich. Right. It's just a thing to think about. Like yeah. it's 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 crazy, but it's absolutely true. So we're gonna jump around a little bit on topics. Yeah, 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 um, no I was gonna we were gonna t- we we've talked a lot about the crisis of separating children and parents at the border, and so we're not gonna we also talked about it for those who, who um uh Maybe we're too hungover most of Saturday, and we're watching One Love Massive content late into the night on Sunday. That's may, a thing you can do. You may have seen us. You may have seen Marcus and me on uh, on uh, 
on the DC is fuck show. Yeah, it was with, a lot uh, of fun with Marcus Bradley and and crushing boo yeah those guys are awesome much love you see what happens this is like when all of the crazy yeah thoughts that i say on this show kind of emanate from right hour of the night so so we've so we so we talked about the immigration crisis on at least the previous two dc tbds also there there needs to be a quick update because there are updates this week well since since we had the conversation on sunday i know that there's been like so there's been movement yeah there's been some movement there's still um, according to an article that I read today, there's still over 2,000 children who are in HHS cups custody, separated from families at the border. Because aren't they still separating people from families at the border? They're not actively doing it anymore, but they haven't yet yeah, reunited. It's a they haven't yet reunited right. these children, these 2,000, 2,047 children in yeah. HHS custody who've been separated from their families um, and are often in different states, yeah. which is... Because they already transported them. Insane. Um, they're so they're still there, and as best as I can tell, I don't see any kind of plan. And they're not going to put them on. I don't see that it's put a them on priority. A I don't see that it's a priority for the administration to get these children reunited with their parents. Um, and so you know that's still going on. Um, you know, I wanted to bring a little bit of attention to the fact that this coming Saturday, June thirtieth, um, there's going to be a huge rally here in D.C. and there's actually going to be all over the country. Um, people who are disgusted by this, um, you can go to familiesbelongtogether.org and you can find out where the nearest rally uh, slash protest is going to be taking place near you. Here in D.C., it is going to be in Lafayette Square, directly across the street from the White House. Of course, it's taking place on a Saturday, so it's likely that President Trump himself will be on the golf course, either at a Trump property in Virginia or at Mar-a-Lago in... um, at Mar-a-Lago in, in Florida. Yes. The one place I can tell you he will not be is in the Oval Office, reading briefing books and hearing people across the street. Never that. Calling him a motherfucker. He'll Never be that. He'll be on the golf course somewhere. That having been said, um, my, hope, my hope is that we can get uh, a similar turnout to this as what we had for... Uh, the Parkland kids, the the, the recent um, the the recent pro gun control uh, um, uh, protests, the, the the women's march that took place in January right after uh, right. That's President what Trump I was, was, that's what I was saying earlier. That's what I meant by like you you do this protest once and you learn how to do it and you have to continuously do it. Yeah, and there were um, a couple of thousand people, mostly women, mostly mothers, who were in Senate offices today, um, and they did a sit-in at the Senate offices. I don't know if any were arrested or not, but um, they sat in, and it was thousands of them. They made their voices heard on this issue, and so I'm expecting a tenfold increase um, at least, uh, hopefully, on on Saturday. Um, I plan on being there. Uh, it's going to be like 100 degrees in D.C., so I'm probably going to leave my kids at home, to be perfectly honest. But I do plan on being there, as you all know. I'm an immigration attorney. Um, I, I, my, my, my overarching view on this is that it requires a level of dehumanization to treat people this way. Right. I see these people every day. I talk to them every day. I hear their stories. They're human to me. Um, they're very, very human to me. And so I am disgusted that our government is doing this in our name. I do plan on being in Lafayette Square um, with my both middle fingers 
planted straight to the White House. Well, I mean, it's absolutely whether, necessary. Whether the clown is in there or not, I don't give a fuck, but I'm going to be there. Right. Um, and I, I hope there's, that there are a lot of people who come out, and I hope that there's a lot of people nationwide who come out. Familiesbelongtogether.org. Again, you can find the nearest rally protest near you. Um, they also will have all kinds of resources if you're wanting to volunteer, wanting to donate, wanting to contribute. So I highly recommend um, reaching out to them. And, uh, yeah, anything you want to add on this I mean, topic? Or should we move on to our 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 our, no, I'll just, I'll our just, cute our cute Bronx Puerto Rican socialist? I mean, let's let's move on to her because I can I can talk. <laughs> I mean, because it's related. It's yeah. absolutely related. This it's is a definitely related. related. It's definitely it's related. Like her being elected, abolish ICE is one of her planks. Right. Okay. So this woman being elected, you know, yeah. Or, or, you know, or or yeah. And we should talk about the woman Alexandria yes. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Right. I've made the mistake, and Mark is also right. We I called did. her Ocasio Castro. Ocasio Cortez. Right. She uh, she represents the Bronx and part of Queens. I mean, functionally now, she won the Democratic primary, and she is in okay. all likelihood so, going to be elected. So here's the fascinating thing about this to me: um, gentrification in Brooklyn yeah. has shifted certain populations. Okay, so the OG hipster population from like '07, '08. Yeah. These people all are, have families now. This is like this is honestly how it happened. Like I yeah. had to sit down and think about it, and I had to think, okay, so in two thousand seven, Brooklyn 2008, is like Adams Morgan. Yeah, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, those eras. Like I was doing a lot of work in those communities. That was like those were like my that was like my first, you know, freelancer paychecks. Right, came from people in Brooklyn that wanted cool words about underground electro music. So all of those people, <laughs> they found the right guy. <laughs> How's a guy? How's a guy? So all of those people have families now, mm-hmm. and because Williamsburg, Brooklyn, is too expensive for them to live, they move to the Bronx yep. and to Queens, and that is where they live now with families. So. Yep. They have like a block of people that are out there now. And once I put this together, I'm like, of course she was going to win. Like, this should be the least surprising thing in the world. Because these are people who were raised on the backs of minority culture as a a cornerstone of the way that they created their power, their own, right, their own lives and their own livelihoods. And for this woman to run, there's nothing about her that scre- initially screams la- Latina. It just screams she's smart and she knows what she's doing and she mm-hmm. wants to be an agent of change. Yeah. All right, cool. I mean, she's definitely a POC. Um, yeah, but but I don't think that's the necessarily like the biggest sell yeah. to me. It's the fact that she actually had a plan. She did have a plan, but she also did say she was running. She she just won her um, her. The, her she won the Democratic primary in the 14th district of New York, which is, as we mentioned, covers Bronx and and, and a good portion of Queens. Right. Um, and she was running against Joe Crowley, who is a a, a white Irish guy, who um, was basically like number four in Democratic leadership. I mean, a guy that had Pelosi said, um, you know, I want to step down as minority leader, or you know, if if Democrats are winning, God, his entire. Like he could have been, he he could have been his entire potentially block, speaker of the house. His entire block is in like Palm Springs or Westchester County now. Good God! <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just saying. So, no, honestly. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because 
we know what the demographics and the future demographics portend yeah. for basically everybody in the five boroughs. It's the same as everybody in the four quadrants in right, D.C. of course. The entire five boroughs are being gentrified. What happens? She's running for her fourth term. Right. In eight years from now is 2026. Right. Um, what happens when all of a sudden she looks around and the Bronx isn't working class Puerto Ricans and Dominicans anymore? It's a lot of white people who, like you say, got gentrified out of Williamsburg. Right. Well, in that case, they'll... And the Puerto Ricans are... Where are they? In Westchester? More in yeah, Queens? They'll what? be in Westchester this time. Staten, where, are they gonna, where are they going to? Okay. So in my mind, this is... this uh, Again, this ties into this whole gentrification conversation. Yeah. Well, of course, they'll be in Jersey. It'll be in Hoboken. I can tell you that because I spent a lot of time in Hoboken, in Jersey City. That's where they'll end up. Like that's right. Okay, yeah. so that's where the minorities end up mm-hmm. because it's considerably less expensive to live there as opposed to like moving out to you know Westchester County or right or you know, Stamford. Stamford, right? Exactly. Like moving in Connecticut, going all the way to Connecticut. We're Jesus. going. We're going deep on New York right here. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> but this is important so yeah. that people understand how demographics work and how population shifts work because that's how she won. Mm-hmm. Is because there was a shift in population where yep. um, where the the, uh, the incumbent. Was Joe Crowley. Joe Crowley, right. Crowley's core constituency literally is not there. No. These people physically do not live in the homes they lived in li- less than 10 years ago. Yep. And, and, and here's the trouble of being an elected politician and being on Capitol Hill. Where is the one place that you don't end up as much as you need to end up there? Back home. Home. So the second you go home and you're trying to like, okay, let's go door to door and look at the Mrs. Smith doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> Mrs. Mr. Sa- Mr. Santos Mr. and Mr. Khalil, <laughs> <laughs> right? Khalil Rahman is next door to, you know, <laughs> like Santos Rodriguez. Yeah, Santos Rodriguez, and it's like, okay, what do you guys need? <laughs> Clearly, you don't need the same things. They're that, like, they're like, not a white guy, <laughs> right? They're like, he's like, they're like, well, do you, do you, what, what do, you, what can I do for you? But here's my question: Do you think that, that district is going to rewhiten? Yes, absolutely. Because here's it's the same thing that happened in D.C., where in 2009, 2010, right. they the, found every the, pocket the initial, northwest. The initial gentrifiers were working class recently educated whites mm-hmm. who are a jump population because they're coming in and they're going to leave. They're going to stay in the same general geographic region, but their intent is to go somewhere eventually where they're supposed to go, Yeah, where yeah. they're supposed to end up. Okay, so I'm going to live in this hovel on U Street mm-hmm. and, and hang on probably with my hipster friends. But I'm on U Street. Right. But then when I I get that, that real job or I get my, my, my pay increase or my raise or I decide well, to go to graduate school. I have a family. Right. Or I decide to go to graduate school or whatever, I'm not going to live here anymore. I'm still staying in DC, right. but I'm probably gonna move like a little bit further either either northeast. All the way further northeast to Brookland, yeah. where there's a house for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars that I can get into with a relatively inexpensive, you know, <laughs> down payment, or the rent's not gonna be that bad. Or, you know, like and the people that are gonna come in and move move into that space are the people that read the New York Times article. New York Times. Mm-hmm. 
New York Times, DC's DC's best sales paper across the country is the New York Times. They write an article on every single, <laughs> you know, every single gentrifying they community got, in the they city. Got, they got a lot of people here. They got a lot of gentrifiers right. here. Right, so the they city. all come here because the Times <laughs> writes the article. Shaw is wonderful. Yeah. Shaw is a land of unfettered opportunity. The, le- the next, the next great, <laughs> the next great undiscovered DC neighborhood. They just did it to Petworth. Petworth, yeah. But like Columbia Heights, eight, na- eight nine months ago. Columbia Heights was a long time long ago. Long time ago. But yeah, Petworth, unfettered opportunity. Brand new renovated homes, restaurants, coffee shops, diversity. Howard University. <laughs> Whatever. It's like Shaw, only farther out. Right. Exactly. But <laughs> something, so, so something to think about. How Good does stuff. ties back into the conversation we were previously? Well, having. I was going to say, and 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 maybe this is a better conversation for next week when we can really dig into sort of all of the Ocasio Cortez think pieces. Since we got into we got deep into gentrification, and that's great. No, but that's I, but that's but that's, that's the reason why that's she coming. won. That's, the that's reason, how she won. That's the reason why she won. That also I think might be an Achilles heel going forward. Right, because she only has one she only has one term. Because by the time that because where she where she won, that now becomes the next hotbed for fucking pop culture. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, let's go to the place where where the socialist, yeah, is 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 radically altering the future of America. Not not yeah. this is actually happening. The, I just want to point out the Bronx Puerto Rican socialist, <laughs> right? Female Bronx Puerto Rican. Yeah, exactly. As as as, as the son of a uh, proud New Yorkian, not from the Bronx, but from Manhattan, right? But as a son of a proud New Yorkian, I got. I got all love. I got all love for Puerto Ricans everywhere, right. especially in New York. Yeah, it's crazy. So, like, all right, that's that's how so, she that's how she won. And the fact that she was a socialist is the cherry on top of the pie because now you're thinking, okay, yeah. she's gonna she's gonna level the playing field with some sort of universal basic income. Push. She could. I mean, she could be she could be the one who takes over the Bernie Sanders mantle. We keep talking about, you know, I mean, when 2020 rolls around, you know, is he gonna run? Is he not gonna run again? Um, I mean, he's gonna be close to eighty years old by the right. time here. I mean, I don't care what people say. Like that's that's pretty fucking old. That's pretty fucking old. I mean, Ber- Ber- like, Bernie's we may not. not we may not need, but you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm not and, suggesting yeah. that 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 she's a viable presidential contender in 2020. By no means am I suggesting no. that. So, um, but she's going to win that seat. She's going to be in Congress. Yeah. Um, there's probably going to be opportunities. To move up the ladder in New York, in New York govern- I have government. To ask you a question, as a dyed-in-the-wool Democratic Party member, how do you feel about the oncoming rush of this of socialists into the Democratic Party? I'm here for it. I'm here for it. You've heard me say many, many, many times. But, but, but you've heard me say many, many, many times that the dividing line are screwed. The dividing <laughs> line in American politics is this: you have a right wing and a left wing. Right. And you have establishment Republican Party, establishment Democratic Party, and the right wing and left wing always bitch about the establishments on their side with equal fervor. The difference is the right wing engineered a hostile takeover of the GOP. No, they, the right they called wing, the Russians to well, initiate. They were doing a, it. They were doing it. Takeover. They were doing it well before the Russians. They were doing they, it. The they, Russians helped them. The Russians absolutely helped. The Russians them. absolutely helped them. But they were doing it well before the Russians. I mean, the Tea Party was a, you know, I mean. 
the a tea, machine. The Tea Party was a machine. I, I, my argument has always been, and I think it's borne out by data, that the Tea Party was just basically the base of the Republican Party, the existing base of the Republican Party, just rebranded. Right. But um, but 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 based but the right wing has taken over the GOP. The left wing still shits on the Democratic Party. Right. They won't vote Democrat. So um, I am here for all of the left wing, all of the Bernieism, all of the Sandersism. Um, if you can package it into an attractive Bronx Puerto Rican, all the better. <laughs> all I mean, that's the whole the thing. The better. I mean, like it, I am here for it. And 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 when and and when you say died, I, I feel like I need to clarify. A died in the wool Democrat. Does that mean that I'm like I am, have always been like rah rah Democrat? No. Like the Democrats have been a poorly run, shitty shitty party pretty much my whole life. Like. Bill Clinton was uh, a political superhero. Barack Obama was a political superhero. Every and other, other Democrat. And every, <laughs> every other fucking Democrat in my whole life, whether it was Dashiell and Gephardt or Gary Hart, I always go John back to Edwards like or John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, they're all shitheads. And so when died in the wool Democrat, like, yeah, I vote Democrat all the time. Right, I was going to say, that's, that's why I called you that. Because right. the Republicans are crazy. Because right. the right wing has engineered that takeover of the yeah. GOP. I can't vote GOP. Even if there is a sane Republican running, I can't vote for it because of the baggage that he that's, brings. That's not happening. It's, it's not happening. Literally not happening it's not for happening. another generation. So, my, my, okay, so I'm a socialist. That's what I hear. That's things what I hear. that are things that I, I tell people all the time. And they think that I'm a democratic socialist, but I'm not. Because the thing, okay, so the kind of socialism... You're a social is, socialist. Right. The, the woman, the, 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 you know, that the kind of socialism that is being advocated for is democratic socialism, which is this kind of like, we are going to have conversations and break down policy into bite-sized bite formats that can be appealing to both sides of the aisle, and we can have conversations about universal yeah. basic income, we can have conversations about socialized health care, you know, basically, it's like Bernie, but with like a bigger smile. Like yeah. you put like a like a like a stamp of smile on Bernie Sanders' face. That's what it is. Um, the right wing is not interested in that conversation. No, but but that's the but but the whole point of this kind of socialism is to go look yeah. at a white right, right winger in the face and go, you know, you really want this, and there's some kind of like magical mind fuck that takes place. This would be good for you, right? So. Okay, so that's one style of socialism. I'm a free market socialist, which means that I'm an advocate for globalizing a marketplace and creating a, a, a baseline. You're a China-style socialist. Yes. Yes. You, you create a baseline notion of what the middle is. China socialist, not North Korean socialist. Right. So the whole thing, the whole gambit is based around the middle. Mm-hmm. There's no upper, there's no lower. We're not looking at either one of those things. The whole gambit is based on how do we get here? Yeah. And if it's the most savage way that we need to get there, that's what we're doing. Right. If it's the, the least savage way that we need to get there, that's what we're doing. It's a very cold, didactic, you know, like concept-driven, book-smart Data-driven, data-driven. Extraordinarily data-driven. Socialism. This is, this is why I obsess over data, like the yeah. way that I do. This is why mm -hmm. I, I will happily do the math. If you, yeah. read, if you read my stuff, if you, I will happily do the math to prove and, the point. And you should read his stuff. It's Marcus with a C. U-L-I-N-G. 
<laughs> a medium. There you go. So you thank should you. read his stuff. So, but that's the thing, and and to me, that's the answer, and that's the that that's the kind of socialism where if you approach Donald Trump and his you know his cronies, they're cronies now. Yeah, they're colluding cronies. That's yeah. what they are, colluding cronies. That's what you call people in a crime syndicate. Right. So they're which is what we have. Right. So these are the, these in are the White House. These are the kinds of socialists who you where where you, they could walk into a room with Donald Trump and say, "Here's what we want." The poor need to make $15 an hour. Why? Well, here is this data that shows you that if, if we take this piece from you and this piece from them and we put it right here and we don't move it anywhere else in the circle, we put it right there, it works. Mm -hmm. And you have to be, and, and there's a level that the, the Chinese have. Well, you know, the reaction you would get from Trump to that pitch is he would be like, that's a great idea. I love it. We should absolutely fucking do it. And then you would leave the Oval Office. The Chamber of Commerce would come in <laughs> right. and be like, look, we go to $15 an hour. These businesses are going to go down. And then the next thing you know, Trump is on TV. You're in the hotel room. Right. You just had a meeting with him an hour and a half ago. And you turn on CNN and Trump's like, yeah, we can't do $15 right. an hour. But are you a, crazy? But you know they, what kind of what will happen right. to business? But as a free market socialist, I'll tell you that we're, we're already going to a place where we're only we're going to have singularity in the marketplace. Um, anybody who watches any of these crazy, like again, going back to Netflix, which I watch all the time, going to watch Glow at three o'clock this morning. That's right. That's right. It comes out on Netflix. Season two. Yeah, season I still two. Still haven't seen season one. Oh, it's great. Oh my god, I know. It's great. So in any event, um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff about the singularity that's ended up in the back end of Netflix. You should watch any of these things. All right. Just because it gives you a sense of where we're headed in American... Text me a list. Text me a list. I, I can definitely do that. I'm yeah. interested. Absolutely. So we're headed to a space where... And it's already happening because we have all of these... Uh, we're having all of these like you know partnerships that are developing suddenly. We're having yeah. you know like Fox and Disney or Vi Fox and Comcast. Are yes. That's called that's called Disney. corporate consolidation, right? And which but, is another issue, right? But that but we're getting to a point where there's going to be a singularity. Like there's going to be like one giant conglomerate that handles movies one giant conglomerate that handles fast food one giant conglomerate that does all of these things yeah which is what economies of scale right economies of scale because and that's and for me as a as a socialist that's what i believe in so if i when i talk about like a third party that emerges out of all this because i think this is the easiest way to like get out of this into like closing out the show is there's a third party that's developing or a third notion of what a party could be that's developing. Mm. And if there's anything that uh, Cortez got it right, yeah. her, her election signifies, it's the fact that we are open to the idea in a significant way. We definitely are. Yeah. That there is a third way to do this. Yeah. Now, developing what that third way is going to look like in a way that's sustainable that's the next conversation. And that's the one I'm truly intrigued by. Because it's not her. It's absolutely not her. Because it's she's the in the wrong place at the wrong time. She's in New York City. Trying to advocate for universal basic income for 8 million people. 8.4 million people. Probably yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. The universal basic income that you need to afford rent in <laughs> anywhere in the five boroughs. Right. That's not going to happen. It's a pretty high universal basic but income. But it does open a conversation, and I, that is important. I, I, I think that we should absolutely continue this conversation. I think she's... I think she's... Um, I, I guess I would disagree slightly. I think she's a fascinating character in her own right. Um, 
but I do agree with you that that the ideas that she's bringing forth are ideas um, that actually I think have a lot of personal uh, have a lot of uh, uh, public support. Right. So, um, but we're going to kind of move on to our our yeah. last segment of the night. We decided we've um, kind of bitched and moaned about a lot of shit going on in our country right now. So we wanted to end on what I think is going to be a, a positive note. Um, we want to talk a little bit about the new Kamasi Washington album. Oh, Heaven, God, yes. Heaven and Earth. Um, for people who don't know, Kamasi Washington, a jazz saxophone player from Los Angeles. Uh, he is... I just don't know any other way to say it. He's a, he's a genius. He's, he's what I would call... Like a five, whatever the whatever the musical equivalent of a five-tool player in baseball is, that's what Kamazi is because his his he's he's um, he's genius on the horn. Like his it, it it's it's always hackneyed to compare a saxophone player to Coltrane, but like his tone, his 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 groundedness in the blues really does okay. remind me of Coltrane. He's also a brilliant composer. Um, the, an arranger, the, the musical palette that he has on this album. This is a double album of mostly instrumental jazz, and he has one of the best jazz bands out there, uh, all these great the L.A. West Coast cats. Get Down. The West who, Coast Get Down, who are amazing yeah. musicians, amazing, tremendous musicians. Um, and then he's got like a 39-piece orchestra, like a 15-person uh, uh, choir on on for, for these vocal parts. He's composing all of these all these harmonies and melodies, um, the horn harmonies, the string harmonies. Just it's 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 genius genius music. It's very kind of um, I see it as sort of Afrofuturism in many ways. It's um, you know he basically has said has told people in press that it's. Intended to be kind of a meditation on on where we are as a society, as a culture, and trying to um, trying to uplift that, trying to really uplift that, and 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 I think he succeeds wildly. I mean, I think his you know his first album, the Epic, was a double album. Then he had Harmony of Difference that came out late last year, which is more like an EP, um, which is just a, a genius album. Just the entire concept of of simple songs with very simple thematic elements that then build in the last song to contain all of the melodic thematic and harmonic elements from those prior songs in that last song it's just it's 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 genius musicality and then this album heaven and earth another double album um and it's very very dense and very deep and 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 you know i i gave my my thoughts on chunky glasses um We've heard Marcus Moore yeah, expound. Of course, of course I haven't. Have. I have. I haven't heard uh, I the official. I know because I haven't Marcus, said anything. Marcus with a C.K. Dowling take. All right, so I cool, want to hear it. it I want to hear it. All heaven, right, Heaven so, and Earth, Kamazi Washington. Okay, so I give it a thumbs up. Go buy it. It's it's phenomenal. Um, a lot of thoughts about this record. Uh, I'll start him by talking about Run Run Shaw. Run Run Shaw is the. Uh, person who's responsible for every single great Shaw Brothers. Uh, Hong Kong produced uh, kung fu movie. Yeah. He um, one of the, a little known fact about him is that the guy who is the composer of Fist of Fury, yes. the theme for dude, I can't get that song yeah. out of my head. So there's a, so the opening song on uh, the first uh, the the Heaven album of uh, the double album for Kamasi is called uh, Fist of Fury. The movie is called Fist of Fury. 
So there's an interplay, there's a cool little, like, you know, play on words there. That's Fists of Fury. If you're an African-American person in 2018, the idea of Fists of Fury fighting against the man. Because there's a huge black exploitation undercurrent to this album. The lyrics, the lyrics on that song right. are are tremendous. I mean, they talk about, you know, I use my hands to help my fellow man. Right. But if I'm met with, you know, unjust injury, then I change my hands to fists of fury. Right. There's also a spoken word part in the middle where they talk about, you know, our time as victims is over. We do not seek justice. Right. We're seeking retribution. Exactly. So it's it's very, very deep. Very deep. So okay. So when Joseph so Joseph Koo, he went to Berkeley School of Music. Right. Graduated in Boston in the early 1950s. So he's a student of cool jazz. Uh, so much of that era of early 70s, like black exploitation style jazz, you know, Hong Kong, you know, karate movie style funky jazz. Funky stuff. It's super funky, but it's not necessarily, it's, it's not, it doesn't get funkier until later. Mm-hmm. This initial stuff is very much still cool jazz. Yeah. It's all just like globalized takes on Coltrane on Bossa Nova, Bossa Nova, <laughs> like just just cool, yeah. simple fifties, like jazz. Brubeck is in there, like a lot of those names. Yeah. Early Miles, not kind of Blue Miles, not you know bitches Brew Miles, but like you know Birth of the Cool, right? Just miles. Birth of the Cool, just cool yeah. miles, you know, it's cool Miles Davis. So that's so that's the first half of this album. Yeah, it's a beautiful early seventies. It's an homage, right? Because so very much, grounded, very grounded in the idioms. Right. So so much of what makes and I'm I'm basically selling everybody watching this on this album, by the way, if you haven't just immediately <laughs> started up. listening. Thumbs up. I'm selling you on it, I'm explaining why it's important. Because it's to Kevin's point, it is one of the best made albums of the last twenty five years. Yeah. Yeah. Because they gave a jazz artist three hours to make music. And in an infinite musical palette. <laughs> Right. And literally infinite musical palette. So I mean, this, yeah, so the first album... The instrumentation is, on there is just crazy. Is this beautiful, cool jazz homage to like early 70s, not even funky. It like airs on the edge of funk. Yeah. Because you still, because you, because I it's mean... It's soul. We'll, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to the funk. <laughs> <laughs> but it's soul. It's like that beautiful soul thing that exists yeah. in like the era of stacks yeah meets like Almost some like, of, like was, papa was a rolling stone yeah kind of, like that's just soul is just starting to get funky. right you're starting to get funky but you're on the edge so it yeah. rides that edge really comfortably right and to me as a band the west coast get down excel excel at doing that thing yeah, e- yeah. exceedingly like like they could make that same album a hundred times for the rest of their lives and be billionaires because it's just that good. It's yeah. like it's like unconscious. They make this music that just feels unconscious. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. Because you know where it's going. Let's do it as a bossa nova now. Let's right. <laughs> so, so I wanted to ask you this. Because there's points on that first album where you feel like you know where this is going. Not because it's like Fist of Fury where like you know, like you've heard it. Right. But there are moments where even in like... The solos that occur, even when like you know, like like the there's like a there's like there's like two drummers doing like a um, you know call and response, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I know, I know the you know, I know what what you know what I know like I know what what how they're gonna play their drums. I know like what hits they're gonna use. I know like what kind of you know, you know, sound and style where they're going for. Right. You get to the second 
album. Yeah. You get to Earth. Um, heaven, actually. I think you got to have Heaven, yeah. I think you have it back. Yeah, so you get to Heaven. First and song on there, The Space Traveler's Lullaby. It's incredible. Amazing. Okay. So I'll, I'll no say, beat, no beat. So I'll say this. Um, Kamasi Washington, though he does not rap, might be one of the five best rappers in rap right now. <laughs> okay. There go, is, on. go on. There is go a, on, okay. Mr. Dowling. There is a way that you, he plays his saxophone. Part of this is the fact that he's had to play a bunch of festivals. Yeah. And if you go to concerts in Washington, D.C., it's the same thing when you go to a festival, except louder. People talk. They, they, they listen. They look down. They're doing everything but, like, paying attention to the music. Right, right. So any musician will tell you that if you're in a venue like that that's wide open and all air, you have to play louder. If you play louder on a woodwind instrument, there's a chance that you're, you're going to distort notes and it's not going to be as crisp. For but sure. if you learn the art of breath control and the art of like amplification without distortion, then what the instrument turns into is a voice. That's correct. And that is what Kamasi has. And yeah. he knows that he has this. And that's the, that's the genius of this album, that he knows that he has a voice. Yeah. And so every other voice then becomes the chorus. Yeah, which yeah. is crazy. And then, in the mixing of the record, when you have a thirty-nine-piece orchestra that's playing behind a saxophone, this has never happened. Is uh, this hasn't happened in I'd say not, four, not 40 jazz, years. not in jazz. Yeah, yeah, it's very orchestral. It kind of reminded me a lot of Duke Ellington, right. modern Duke Ellington. But Gallagher. I would say it's like forty or fifty years yeah. since we've had somebody in jazz who plays that style of instrument be the leader. Of yeah. that size and that talent level of talent of a, a band, yeah, which yeah, is astounding, sure. and the fact that he plays the saxophone as if he is using it like his voice, yeah. And then when basically the second half of the record is takes on James Brown, takes on Herbie Hancock, takes on Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. all of these artists whose breaks informed hip hop culture. So yeah. if the music sounds familiar, yeah. <laughs> It's because DJ Premier isn't chopping these up into small, tiny little bits and, you know, throwing Guru's voice over top of them. Like, that's not what's happening here. Right. Like, it's, everything's allowed to breathe. Yeah. And it's beautiful because if you're a fan of rap music and you're looking for, like, the next progression of where this goes, because I feel like, okay, rap is 50 years old. Like, everybody in the room, rap is 50. Polo, hey, Mike, rap is 50 years old. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Rap is 50. So you have to evolve the culture at some point. And, and trap is one evolution. The electro rap thing is another revolution. This thing over here is the actual pure evolution. Mm-hmm. That's the crazy part of it to me. Yeah. It's like this is the pure evolution of hip-hop culture into the next iteration of where music is headed. Because it's free hip-hop. It's not even just free jazz. Yeah. But it's free hip-hop without producers involved. As someone who's in a jazz hip-hop band, I certainly hope <laughs> that that is where Right. But imagine, where if, but imagine if you had yeah. to play notes that weren't cut into eighths and halves and sixteenths when you were putting together songs because you're thinking, okay, we're a rap band, so we have to play rap notes. But imagine if you could play every single rap note you wanted to play, you could play a jazz note instead. And you yep. can let the thing breathe. Yeah. And as a and as a and, and as a guitarist, you're able to like 
let like a break. Cause, okay, so the thing that got me is that he's able to do things on bars mm-hmm. with the instrument, like a voice. That's crazy because he can he can reach ranges that yeah. the voice can't reach. For sure. So the songs say more. Yeah. Which is, it just blows my mind. It's, to me, it's heady as hell. Yeah, to me, the genius of the album is just the way that the songs are constructed. Like I say, he uses an enormous musical palette, and he really uses it to great effect produ- from a production standpoint, from a composition, from an arrangement standpoint. It's beautiful music. God, as a, I, I Very th- yeah, meditative. As a, it's something that you can listen to as in a the composer, car. As a, as, a, as a composer and a conductor. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing stuff. It's amazing Astounding. stuff. All right, well, that looks like it's going to wrap it up for us yes, this yes, week. Yes. DCTVD, thanks to our crew, Nick and Mike in the back. Thanks to Molly and One Love Massive, everybody here. Thanks to everybody in D.C. We love you. Thank you so much. Good night. Yo, that was beautiful. So did that, did that review work?